we're walking through a process in these days. Every section of the road is extremely important. I was in a meeting some time ago where a man said, I, I went to God on Sunday morning. I said, God, I'm going to be here every night this week. I'm, I'm going to try that. And he said, I got to work Monday morning. I realized I had a business appointment on Thursday. I wouldn't be able to be there on Thursday night. And I said, God, I, don't, I, I can't change it. He said, I tried to see if I could, you know, f- drive him to get back in time. I couldn't. I, I, I tried to fly commercially. It was in Detroit. Couldn't get back in time. He chartered a plane. We're in Indiana. Flew to Detroit. Had his meeting. He said, I lost money on the deal, but I was in the service Thursday night. And that night, what God said to me that night changed my life. And he said, I don't know what happened if I hadn't been there Thursday night. The, 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 the greater the sacrifice, the greater the cost, the greater the obedience the greater the blessing. And now for many of you, uh, to give of your time is just incredibly sacrificial. And, and again, I just encourage you to, again, ask the Lord where he wants you to be tomorrow night at 6.30. If it's not here, that's fine. But just ask him. And I think God has some great things in store as we're walking through this process uh, in these days. And then ladies, don't forget, this Thursday, you have a little card here that talks about this. My wife, Debbie, will be sharing with you on Thursday in this luncheon. And, and I want to encourage you to prioritize that. There'll, there'll be people come afterwards and say, you know what you said was okay, what Jimmy said was okay. But what your wife shared with us on Thursday, I'll, I'll never forget. And God has used that in, in many, many lives. So come, be a part of that time. Child care is provided. Uh, and if, if you know you're going to be there already, go ahead and fill that out, and we'll collect it a little bit later so we can have an accurate amount just to know how many tables to set up and so forth. There's no charge. be a great time. Take care of all the preschool children. If you homeschool, bring them. We'll set up a room for them. We want you to be here this Thursday, 1130 till around 1 o'clock, so you come join us. And then Saturday, I'll say more about this as the week progresses, but, but Saturday... Just looking for a great time together as we meet as families. And uh, from 9 until 1, it's more of a casual environment. There's some vignettes and some things. Uh, Jimmy and I have a a great time just kind of bantering back and forth. And you're going to want to be a part of that time this Saturday um, at 9 o'clock. During that time, the teens um, will meet in flip sessions, um, whatever that means. Uh, It'll be a great time together for you. There's a place for the kids. We call this Expedition Creation. Just a great time, opportunity for you, you come join us as we walk through uh, that time together. Take your book now with me, if you would, for the team sings one more song here. And I want you to turn to page number 10 in your book that you have there. And um, it's entitled The Needy Life. Put up that, that slide, if you would, the, the PowerPoint for this, will you? Um, the Needy Life on page 10. And at the top of that page, uh, there's a, a, a list, mine is numbered up here, yours just has some blanks, that says, My Spiritual Needs. I'd like you to take just a minute before uh, we do this next song, and as we do this song, and I'd like you to make a list of all your spiritual needs as you know them right now. This is not to hand in, this is for nobody else, this is just for you. Just make a list of the spiritual needs you already know that you have. What are the idols in your life? What are the things that maybe you would have to say, I have put these things before God. Anything you spend more time on, anything you think about more, I was in a meeting some time ago where a guy said to me, he said, Steve, I'll sit there on Sunday morning where the pastor's preaching, and I'll be thinking about my golf swing. Now, there's nothing wrong with golf. But we can't even shut some things off for a few minutes to come and, and, and spend time t- thinking about the Lord. What, what are the things that, that are just may, maybe too important to you? Not, not bad things. David Tripp said when a, when, a, when a good thing 
becomes a consuming thing, a good thing can become a bad thing. And sometimes we're consumed by the wrong things. But what if the spiritual needs is you just evaluate that you already know if God's going to do something in a significant way in your life, this area will have to be addressed in your life. Let's take a few moments, and even while they sing this song, I hope by the time you get through, you'll have a few things on there that you already know, that God didn't have to give you another message, doesn't have to shout about, you already know it in your heart. I don't know uh, what you jotted down there on your list of, of, of needs. I, th- I think one of the problems is we just, we just have a hard time even listing our needs. We, we have a hard time seeing our needs. I read about a girl, uh, maybe an urban legend, but she lived out in San Diego, California. Her name was Linda Burnett. And um, she was sitting in her car, and, and a man uh, came. It was in a grocery store parking lot, and a man came by her car. Windows were rolled up. It was a warm day in San Diego, and, and the car wasn't running. And the windows were rolled up. She was sitting in there with her eyes closed, her hands clasped behind her head. And he thought it was a little strange, but people are strange in California, so uh, he didn't think much about it. Went in the store, came back out. 45 minutes later, she was still there. Windows rolled up, hot day, eyes closed, hands behind her head. And so he, he went over and tapped on the window. He said, is everything okay? And she opened her eyes and she said, would you please call 911? I've been shot in the back of the head. I'm holding my brains in. So he called 911. She wouldn't even let her hands down to unlock the door. They had to break in the car. They got the door open. They carefully pulled her hands away, and they found two wads of Pillsbury dough. It was so hot, some biscuits exploded in the back seat, hit her in the back of the head. She thought she was shot, felt her brains falling out, and sat there for 45 minutes. The last line said, yes, Linda was a blonde. I'm not sure that has to do with it. It's just, it's just what it says. Now, now, the fact is, Linda had some problems. She just didn't know what her problems were, right? And, and we have needs. Sometimes we just don't know what they are. The pastor was preaching one Sunday morning, he had kind of like this, no, no pulpit to stand in front of, and, and his wife motioned him that his zipper was down. So he kind of froze, and, and had everybody bow there and close their eyes, called on one of his deacons, it was a real long prayer, and, and while the deacon was praying, they had a flag on the platform, he walked over, stood behind the flag to zip up his zipper, wasn't watching what he was doing, he caught the flag in his zipper. <laughs> Couldn't get it up or down. So he grabbed the flag, said, let's all sing, God bless America. And he marched down the center aisle. Well, he had some needs, and he got them met. Turn to the person next to you and say, I have needs. I hope you really believe that. Now turn to them and say, you have needs. That's easier to say, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, we do. I, I remember uh, some years ago, when I, the first time I heard this, um, I, I heard this statement. Put it on my monitor, will you? Um, the, 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 heard this statement after that list, and that was this, that the shorter your list, the farther from God you are. I remember when I heard that, I thought, well, I don't really like that because I, I'd only written down about two things. And I thought, if you were to ask me 10 years ago to make my list, it would have been a lot longer. But, you know, I've kind of grown in my life. But, but the more I thought about it, the more I realized the truth of that. Because it's unnatural to list and admit our needs. That's why we aren't maturing. Our upbringing says, you know, don't, don't tell people, don't be open, don't be transparent. Don't, don't tell people where you're really at. But the reality is this, that the closer to God you're living in reality, the longer your list will be. Because the problem is when we're really far from God, we don't know what our needs are, but the closer you get to Him, the easier it is to identify and see what 
our needs are. Nate, can you put that on the monitor for me so I can see it? There there are three examples. There's a couple examples in Scripture uh, in relationship to that. One is the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was a guy in Isaiah chapter 6 where, where I, you know, this, the, the passage where it says in the year that King Uzziah died, Uzziah was Isaiah's friend. They, they, were, they were good friends. And so the king dies, his friend dies, he's feeling a little bit down. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. His, his, he was high on the top. His train filled the temple. And you know this vision that Isaiah has of the, of the throne of God, these, these cherubim are flying around the throne with, with six wings, and they're covering their faces, and their feet, and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah is ushered in this incredible vision of, of God. And what does he do? The closer he gets to God, when he saw God for who God really was, does he run up and throw his arms around God? Oh, God, I'm so glad to be with you. No, he falls on his face. The closer he got to God, the more he saw the holiness of God, the more he saw himself. Listen, there are two things necessary for revival, an accurate view of ourself and an accurate view of God. And when we see the greatness of our need and the greatness of our God, we'll run to him because he's the only one that can meet those needs. And, and, and when, the, when Isaiah saw God, he saw himself. He said, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. The closer he got to God. Now, who is this man of unclean lips? Was he a profane man? Was he, was he a man who, who was cursing God? And No, this was the prophet Isaiah. But the closer he got to God, the more he realized his own need. And the reason it's hard for us to to, to write down things in in a list and and not make a list of our needs is because we're so far from God, we don't know what our needs are. I I think of Job. I mean, Isaiah was incredibly godly, but here's Job, the godliest man on the face of the earth. I mean, seriously, Satan comes, gives account of himself, and, 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 says, and God says, you considered my servant Job? I mean, God was bragging to Satan about Job. Have you considered Job? This man is perfect. He's mature. He's upright. He fears me. He hates evil. And you know the story. Satan says, yeah, not for nothing. You've got this wall around him. I can't get to him. So God drops the wall, and in one day, he loses everything. Talk about a bad day. And you know the story, how, how um, his friends come and they say, now, now Job, you've got some problems. No, no, it's not. I, I, don't, I, I don't think I do. Yes, it's got to be you. You, you, you got problems. No, and, and all these chapters, these, these friends are supposed friends are, are trying to, and, and finally, after all this happens, in the last chapter, actually it should be 42, Job, the, the prophet, is visited by God himself. God comes to visit Job. And, and he comes to visit Job, and, and after God visits Job, Job says this, All my life I have heard of thee with the hearing of the ear, but today my eye hath seen thee. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now, who is this man who is abhorring himself? Was this some um, horrible villain? Was this a thief? Was this a man who, who was persecuted? This is Job, the godliest man on the face of the earth. But when he saw God for who he really was, his list got longer. In the New Testament, read the Apostle Paul. I mean, here, here is the greatest Christian ever. Wrote half the New Testament, first missionary, church planter. Incredible. And what did he say about himself? He told the core of the church, I am the least of the apostles. But then Paul grew a little bit. He was running out of town on a rail. 
beaten and left for dead, persecuted. In a later epistle he wrote chronologically, he didn't say he was the least. He said, I am less than the least. How much is that? Like a zero with the rim knocked off. How, how, how do you get any lower than that? Then Paul was shipwrecked and snake bit and taken to a Roman prison. And the last epistle he wrote chronologically, he didn't say he was less, didn't say he was the least or less than the least. He said, I am the chief sinner. Now, who is this chief sinner? Is this, is this man some immoral pervert? I mean, this guy who considers himself the chief sinner, it's the Apostle Paul. But the closer he got to God, the, the more he knew God, the longer his list became. And, and, and the reason we have such a hard time writing down the needs in our life, some, some of you don't write down anything because you don't even know what your needs are. Or we just say, well, I'm just a bad person. Pride deals in generalities. Humility deals in specifics. And as you walk through these days and you begin to say, God, show me myself, it's not a pretty picture. But until you're honest with that, until you have a right view of yourself and a right view of God, you're going to be frustrated. There are two sides to revival. There's the brokenness side and the joy side. Everybody loves the joy side of revival. But if you don't walk through the brokenness side, you don't get to experience the joy side. So as you walk through the brokenness side, let's look at someone who, who came to God in, in, in that way. Look at Mark chapter 10. This is a, a familiar passage, perhaps. It's a story of a, a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus. Mark 10 46. Let's stand together for a minute. You've been sitting a while. You'll sit the rest of the time. So stand with me. Let's read this, and then we'll go back and look at it. They came to Jericho, and he was leaving Jericho with his disciples. This is verse 46 of Mark 10. And a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So he called the blind man, saying to him, take courage, stand up. He's calling for you. Throwing away his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Father, please take these uh, remaining moments. And help us to identify in our hearts and our lives the starting point for what you want to do in this transitional process. And we'll give you praise. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You can be seated. Bartimaeus was a man who got his needs met. How did that happen? Well, here, here he is. We, we're in the story here. He, he's walking on the, the Jericho Road. Jericho is, was a, a, a city of commerce. It's the lowest city in the world, 800 feet below sea level. But it was a, a major thoroughfare. People were driving their, their herds and their chariots and doing their, all their merchandise down the road. And, and, and it's a great place to stand and, and say, you know, we'll golf for food or, or whatever your sign happened to say uh, because a lot of people walked by there. And so here he is with some other beggars, and they're leaving Jericho, the disciples and Lord are, and, and this blind beggar is standing there, sitting by the road. And here's the first thing I see about Bartimaeus. One, he made himself vulnerable. It says he's sitting by the road. They didn't have four-lane, you know, highways with curbs and sidewalks. And so this blind beggar is crowding himself up by the road. If he would have stood 10 feet back and said, alms for the poor, no one's going to come by. No one's going to go out of their way to put money in his dish. 
He knew the only way to get his needs met was to put himself in a place of vulnerability. What if somebody drove their chariot over his toes? Or, or what if the, the herds, well, I mean, there was, there was no protection on these roads. He's crowding up by the road, but he knew to get his needs met, he was going to have to be vulnerable. Now, we, we don't like that. We don't want to be vulnerable. We, we don't want anybody to know where we're at, what our needs are. We just want to kind of, you know, talk about it in secret, and, and we're not willing really to be honest about our lives. No one is going to walk out of the way to help him. And I want to tell you, God will meet you at your need, but you've got to be willing to acknowledge your need. You've got to put yourself in a place of vulnerability. When he heard, verse 47, it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on my wife. Boy, she got problems. Is that what your Bible says? Have mercy on our pastor. If Dan would just get right, we'd be okay. Maybe, maybe. But have mercy. Have mercy on who? What does your Bible say? On me. Mine does too. Put a circle around the word me. Because that is the circle. That's the hoop you need to step into. Have mercy on me. That, that, that's what we talked about this morning. Revival starts with me. Bartimaeus was not content to cope with his problems. The, the problem with us is we are not desperate enough to beg God for mercy. We're not desperate enough to say, God, have mercy on me. We, we don't beg God for that. We beg God for material things. And we're desperate but we're desperate for the wrong things. We're desperate for a bigger house or a nicer car or a better bank account. We're desperate for better relationships. Saw this some time ago. A Walmart store that sells husbands has just opened in Dallas, Texas. It's a place where women can go to choose a husband for among many men. Among the instructions at the entrance, there's a description of how the store operates. There are only six floors. It states the attributes of the men increase as the shopper ascends each flight. There is a catch, however. You can open the door to any floor and choose any man on that floor, but if you go up a floor, you can't go back down except to exit the building. So a woman goes to the Walmart husband store to find a husband. On the first floor, the sign of the door reads, Floor 1, these men have jobs. The second floor sign reads, these men have jobs and love kids. The third floor sign reads, these men have jobs, love kids, and are extremely good looking. Wow, she thinks. But she feels compelled to keep going. She goes to the fourth floor where the sign reads, these men have jobs, love kids, are drop-dead good-looking, and help with the housework. Mercy me, she exclaims. I can hardly stand it. But still she goes to the fifth floor where the sign reads, these men have jobs, love kids, are drop-dead gorgeous, help with the housework, and have a strong romantic streak. She is so tempted to stay. But she goes to the sixth floor where the sign reads, you're now visiting 3,456,012 of this floor. There are no men on this floor. This floor is solely as proof that women are impossible to please. <laughs> and the same thing could be said about men. I understand about it's this, we, we're desperate for the wrong thing. And, it's, and we're not desperate for a God to do something in our life. If you can live without revival, then you will. If you can live without greater intimacy with God, you will. You've got to come to a place of desperation where you're tired of beating on that tree with a dead stick. And, and listen, spiritual hunger is not always, in fact, most times not popular by your peers. Look at verse 48. Many, not just a couple, many were sternly telling him, be quiet. Don't make such a noise. 
Be, be, Jesus didn't have a time for you. Don't, 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 just be quiet. This is not about you. I, I, I love this guy. As people were telling him to shut up, be quiet, you know what he did? He just got louder. He was not going to let these people around him be the cold water brigade throwing a bucket of cold water in every fire that got started. Spiritual hunger is not popular. I, I found this. You're either going to be called a fanatic or a hypocrite, one of the two. Either people are going to say about you, that guy is such a fanatic. All he does is talk about Jesus. He's gone to church every night this week. What's with that? Either they're going to say you're a fanatic or they're going to say, that guy's such a hypocrite. That family, they, they go to that church there's some, but on Sunday, but I see the way they live. Given those two options, fanatic or hypocrite, I, I hope you'll choose fanatic. Jim Elliott, the murdered missionary, the Aki Indians, as a, as a young man wrote in his diary, he said, God, would you please make me a fork in the road? I want to be a fork in the road. That when people come to my life, they have to make a choice. See, we don't want to be a fork in the road. We, we want people to feel, feel comfortable with us. We want to just kind of go with the flow. He said, make me thy fuel, O flame of God. He was desperate for God. But we're not. Even if other Christians attack you, our prayer needs to be God. If you don't speak to anyone else in this church, if you don't touch another parent, another grandparent, another teenager, God, do something in me. When Bartimaeus was challenged to shut up and be quiet, he just got louder. He just got more desperate. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I love verse 49. And Jesus stopped. You know, there are not very many people that stopped Jesus in his tracks. I try to think about this. And I, I, can only, I can only think of two others other than this, and maybe there's others you can think of that stopped Jesus in their tracks. One was the lady with the issue of blood. They're in this crowd, and, and, and Jesus stops, and he says, wait, somebody touched me. And the disciples say, we're walking through a crowd. All kinds of people are bouncing off. He, he's not, somebody touched me in a different way. And he turns, and, and here's this lady who has spent all of her money on doctors. She's law, all, and she says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, and Jesus said, I've not seen faith like this. She stopped, her faith stopped Jesus in his tracks. The other, other instant I can think of is the, the disciples are with Jesus, and he says, I'm going to spend the night with my father talking with him. You go to the other side. So they get in a boat, and, and, uh, and Jesus then later walks across, uh, and he's walking on the water. A huge storm comes up, and, and it says, interesting verse, it says, and he would have passed them by. He had no intent of stopping. He knew they were going to make it. He said to them, I'll see you on the other side. They should have known it. But they're in this storm, and, and they see Jesus, and he's walking. They say, help, Jesus, over here. And in their desperation, they cried out, and Jesus comes, and he stills the storm. And, and, and they, they didn't understand. They had just seen an incredible miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, and they still didn't understand who they were dealing with. He commands everything. And they got desperate. When they got desperate, other than those two, and this, not many people that I could find stopped Jesus in his tracks. But, but, but Bartimaeus did. And, and Jesus stops, and, 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 he, and he calls the blind man, has him come to him. I was, um, <laughs> ever, ever read through a verse you've read like many times, and, 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 and um, sometimes it just kind of pops off the page to you? Some years ago, I was reading a verse, 
and Luke 19 like that. And, and it was the story of, of, of Jesus. He's, he's looking over Jerusalem and he's, he's praying and he's saying, you know, how many times I would have gathered you like a mother hen, gathered her chicks, and, and, and you would not. And then this verse, I think it's, it's in Luke 19, I think it's around verse 33 maybe. And, and he says, but you did not recognize the day of your visitation. And I, and I thought about that. I thought, here, here are people, can you imagine living in the time of Jesus? I mean, here the Son of God, the Messiah that you've prayed for is, is living in the same town, is, is walking your streets. And, and here are people, Jesus is, is, is healing people and he's, he's, he's with the disciples and, 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 and this, this person's, you know, got their little stand going up over here and, and, and this guy's mowing his lawn over here and this person's hanging out their laundry and they're within just a, a short distance of the Son of God. He's walking among them. And Jesus said, you didn't recognize this was the day of your visitation. I thought, how many times have I been in a place where I was just so distracted by something else other than what was happening right there in the moment? And Jesus walked right past me. And I thought, you know, I don't ever want to be in that place again. You ever been a time where, where it just, Jesus just brushed past you and you, you were not doing bad things? You were just doing things. And Jesus walked right past, brushed past you a step away, and all you, you were just distracted. And I read that, and I said, God, I don't, I don't ever want to be in a place again where I'm so distracted with, with idols or with something else that, that I miss you walking past my life. I was in the, the state of Washington some time ago, and after we left, a, a lady sent me a letter. She said, uh, I... I when I heard Life Action was coming, I, I prayed and was excited about it. The big day finally arrived. Once you know, right before I left for church, my husband and I had an argument. I was so angry, I was seated in the pew at church, decided to get up and go home. I wasn't really angry at my husband. I was just angry, period. I think the enemy wanted me out of that revival. I went back home, back to bed, pulled the covers up over my head. Then it came to me, if Satan wanted me out of there so badly, there must be a tremendous blessing there. So I managed to get out on Sunday evening. The team passed out paper, and Steve told us to write down all of our needs on the paper. Then he told us that the fewer the needs were written down, the farther from God we were. I didn't write anything down. In fact, I didn't even take a piece of paper. But the one thing that was impressed on my heart that night was the fact that God was going to come by our church in the next two weeks. It was up to us whether we wanted to meet with him or not. And I praise God I did choose to meet with him and the team was right. God came and he hasn't left. I, I want to suggest that God is going to pass by your life in these days. And I, I just hope you're desperate enough to meet with him. Jesus stopped. He said, call him. So they, they called the blind man, saying to him, take courage, stand up. He's calling for you. Isn't that great? And that, that's the heart of the gospel. He is calling for us. When we should have come looking for God, God came looking for us. He's calling for you. Verse 50, throwing aside his coat, he jumped up and came to Jesus. He cried out the master. And, 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 and let me just say, uh, the parallel passage to this, it's in another one of the Gospels, and it says there was other beggars there. Why didn't Jesus stop at the other beggars? You know why? Because Jesus passes by the self-sufficient. There was other people that had needs, but they weren't crying out. They listened to the crowd saying, be quiet. 
And if you have no needs, if you are self-sufficient, if you can do your marriage on your own, raise your kids on your own, do your business on your own, you can, and you don't need him, then he'll pass right on by. And, and there's going to be many in these days, he'll walk right by you and you'll just say, I'm, I'm okay. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not okay. But if you're okay, then, then he'll pass right on by. Throwing away his garment, he came and came to Jesus. By faith, he left all. It doesn't make much sense for a blind man to throw his coat away. How's he going to find it? Either he knew he wasn't going to need it anymore, or he knew he would have new eyes to find it with. But for whatever reason, he throws his coat away. He brought nothing to the equation. It wasn't, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some things for you, Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring all my... No, he had nothing to offer. He had no money. He had no anything. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. We bring nothing to the occasion, but that's okay because he is everything. We bring no power because he's all power. We bring no wisdom because he's all wisdom. And if you think you're bringing things to God, you think God, but God really needs you. God does not need you. You, but you need him. And we come to him, and by faith he left all. And then, and then I, I love this. And Jesus answered and said, verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? At first, that sounds like kind of a silly question. I, I like football. You know, watching a football game, I watched Oregon win yesterday. I'm sure you did too. And, and uh, at, at, at halftime, you have these highly paid announcers, and they're talking. And one says to the other, what do you think this team needs to do in the second half? And this highly paid announcer says, well, they need to put some points on the board. <laughs> Seriously? That's your commentary? Really? And, and they get paid big bucks for that. And it almost sounds like it's that silly of a question. Jesus looks in the face of a blind man. Everyone knew he was a blind beggar. Jesus knew. Jesus made him blind. He's looking in the face of a blind beggar and says, what do you want me to do for you? And what did Barometer say? Well, Lord, I'll tell you, I threw my coat away. If I could have some new clothes, and I'll tell you, my chariot, I don't even have a spare wheel on my chariot, so I get a new chariot, and I'll tell you, I'm living in a cardboard box under this bridge. If I could have a new clothes, a new chariot, a new house, and a few dinera in the bank, I'd be a happy camper. Is that what he says? No, Bartimaeus knew what his needs were. He said, Lord, that I might regain my sight. He wants you to specifically verbalize your need. And until we are specifically verbalizing what our needs are, we're not going to go any farther. And Jesus says, go, your faith has made you well. And immediately, he regained his sight and began following him in the road. Can you specifically verbalize your need? I asked you a few moments ago to jot down in that book what your needs were. So, so if you jotted some things down, great. As you walk through these days, maybe tonight, as you go to bed, think through, God, what are my needs? Where are the areas of my life that I need change? And until you specifically identify and verbalize those, you're not going to go to a doctor if you don't know that you're sick. And you got to specifically be able to say, Here, here's my problem. My, my foot hurts. My this hurts. My that hurts. And, and, and I'm feeling that you've got to give symptoms. You've got to say, here's my problems, so the prognosis can be delivered. Now, if you're a wise person, every now and then you go and you have a, a complete physical. You get checked up, and they, they check everything about your body, and all you do, blood work. It's, it's a smart thing to do. Well, spiritually, we need to do the same thing. So, so here's what I want us to do tonight as we close the service. I want you to turn in, in your book to page number 56. Page 56, there's four pages here. It's called a complete spiritual. 
And there'll be no formal dismissal on the service tonight. When you're finished, you can slip out quietly. It may take you a few minutes to do this. But I want you to walk through this little exercise, answer these questions, not the way they used to be, not the way you wish they were, but to answer them the way that they are. And if you'll take a few moments and walk through this exercise, this will help you identify where God wants to start in your life. And put up some music. Take all the time you want. This is not for anybody else. You're not going to hand this in. But it, 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 there's, there's six summary boxes. If you go through all this and don't have to check any of those six summary boxes, then don't come back tomorrow. You're perfect. You stay home, pray for all the rest of us. But if you're like me, there's some things you're going to have to identify as some needs. And then I'm going to walk through this next two weeks, and we'll tell how to, how to, how to move from these needs to a lifestyle that God wants for us. You take a few moments, take all the time you need. When you're done, you can slip out. We'll keep your kids through or through. When you're finished, you can slip out, and we'll see you tomorrow night at 6.30.